Welcome to Pop Culture Retro, which was recently voted the 15th best podcast by the residents of the Golden Years Retirement Community in Boca Raton, Florida. Each show, we'll revisit some of your favorite pop culture memories with insider and outsider perspectives. Now, please help me welcome your hosts, Ike Eisenman and Jonathan Rosen. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of Pop Culture Retro. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Jonathan Rosen, along with Ike Eisenman, and I am thrilled and <laughs> I have nothing to say. I am just, you know, in awe of today's guest. Please help us welcome Sid Croft. Sid, thank you so much for joining wow. us today. What a great introduction. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Sid, I mean, you, you've created so many shows of my childhood. Before we get started, just, you know... Sure. Everything, you know, my childhood is associated with your shows. It's just, I grew up on on everything that you've done. And uh, I, I don't even know which one I love the most. <laughs> it's, uh... Well, thank you. You know, it's amazing to me, all, after all these years, how all of you have taken this with you. You know, there are not many shows out there, especially you know, children's shows that you can still sing the theme song and you know the, all the characters' names and that blows me away. Hey, thank you for that. Well, uh, let's get started. I mean, I, I read, I was reading so much about you there I, and you, you started to ask you, your father was an entertainer uh, as well, I read. Uh, what type of act did he have and how did he get you into a love of performing? I don't know where the hell you read that, but because that, <laughs> that is not the way. I mean, why do people make up stories? Oh, maybe, no, that, that, maybe no. I did, you know. Uh, but <laughs> no, my dad, uh, the first time I ever saw a puppet, I was nine years mm -hmm. old. And uh, my dad got a free ticket only one ticket to go see a stage show. And this was in Providence, Rhode Island. And the theater was called the Phase Theater. They had, it was vaudeville. And, um, and he asked this couple, it was a matinee, uh, to take me into the theater. And I sat next to them. The curtain went up and it was the Megalyn Kitties. Did you ever hear of them? No. No. It was a, it was this woman here in Hollywood that found Shirley Temple and Mickey Rooney and all those kids that, you know, the the R gang comedy wow. and, and the little rascals. And she had a, a big show of all children that age, you know, no taller than the piano. And, and they uh, put on this, and even the orchestra was all kids. And they traveled, uh, of course they played in Hollywood, but they traveled and played for a week in, in different vaudeville theaters all over the country. So I saw the Meglin Kitties. I don't think Shirley Temple was in it when I saw it. Um, but after the opening number, which 
it was a big tap number coming down this grand staircase and sparks came from their shoes. Wow. The tap dancers. <laughs> I don't, to this day, nobody can figure out how they did that. And, um, and then the stage went dark and there was a little suitcase laying flat in the middle of the stage. And the spotlight just hit that. I didn't see the puppeteer, but he didn't work in a stage. He was exposed, but you just saw an outline of a, 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 a small body operating this puppet. The suitcase opened up, a clown came out, <laughs> uh, peeked out, and he got on top of the suitcase and there was music, of course, behind it. It was all silent. Uh, the clown wasn't singing or, or speaking. And I never saw a marionette before. So to me, it was like a little real person. And it blew up a balloon. And the balloon broke. And he became so sad, the clown, that I began to cry. Wow. The whole audience screamed. To sh for me to shut up that I was spoiling the show. The usher came down and asked the people next to me, is this your kid? You know, or tell your kid to be quiet or whatever they said. They said, no, he's not with us. So they threw me out of the theater. Oh, wow. Now, this story has something to do with your first question. Um, <laughs> There was a little kid on our street that had the very first comic book, Superman comic book, oh. that we used to look at every single day. In that comic book was an ad for a hazel marionette, $3.95. I went to my dad, no show business background, oh, not <laughs> at all. And I asked him if I could get it. And he became furious with me because he said, first of all, you're a boy and you want a dolly? And he said, and $3.95 would feed your family for weeks. This is 1940, actually. And, um, and so, I also saw an ad in that comic book. Of course, he didn't get it for me. And if you sent away for a box of Christmas cards, a hundred in a box, and you sold them for 50 cents, you could keep a nickel. So without telling my parents, I sent away. And after school, I was out in the streets uh, selling my Christmas cards saving for my $3.95, which probably took me months. Mm -hmm. you know. I still have that marionette and her name is Dolly. Wow. And the reason I sent away for Dolly is because I wasn't a little brat, but I, you know, when my parents said to me, don't jump off that hill, you'll get hurt, I would jump. I was that kind of a kid. So, you know, 
Uh, and that's how it all started. No, my dad, after he saw I was making money with my marionettes, you know, a dollar, two dollars, uh, because I became a street performer mm -hmm. with that puppet selling Christmas cards. Mm -hmm. I used to make 75 cents a dollar a day because wow. I was, you know, hundreds of people would gather. I had a little Victrola that I wound up. So that's how it all started. So whoever wrote that, <laughs> in, instead of me suing you for, you know, for what we talked about, you know, what was behind you. The background, uh, right. From, from Land of the Lost. <laughs> I mean, that guy, whoever wrote that article. You know, well. Well, now, now I'm worried about the rest of the questions. <laughs> yeah. No, all, I'm sorry that I took so long on that one question, but I, I'm worried I, about this. Let, let me. So now, did did you open for Judy Garland? Oh yeah. The, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hey. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. 1957 at the Flamingo Hotel in Vegas when there were probably five or six hotels in Vegas. Wow. Now, who knows? We can't count how many hotels right. there are now, yeah. So what was that like? What was that experience like? I mean, a kid working, you know, in front of- Well, uh, I wasn't, I was, uh, uh, come on, I wasn't well, a kid anymore. You're older, but- <laughs> Yeah, I was older, yeah. But, but uh, the legendary performer like that. No, yeah, but you know, my act toured the whole world and, uh, and I just got back from the Lido in Paris. I was in that show for uh, a year. Wow. And, 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 you know, then I toured all of Europe after that. So I was away in the early 50s for many, many years. And Jack Benny saw me in a show in London. And he brought me, wanted me to come back to America to do his special. It was called The Shower of Stars, an hour special. And he wanted one of my marionettes. He had an idea because he had Jacques Dembois, who was the premier dancer of the New York City Ballet, to dance with that marionette mm. and do lifts. So I worked off bridges. Are you guys puppeteers? No, not me. I, I don't know if Ike does that at all. Really? Well, what, what's your entrance? Now I'm going to ask you a question. <laughs> sure. Well, what, uh, what is your entrance into show business? Well, Mine. I, I, I yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm gonna, I am going to um, back up even before my entrance into show business because I have a story related to HR Puff and stuff that is, that wow. is profound for me. Um, it was. I was more than enamored with that show. I was a bit obsessed with it. I watched it constantly. I loved it and adored it. And I wanted to be Jimmy. I wanted my own magic flute. I wanted to live in that world so badly. And I, um, my father was actually in the entertainment industry. He had, a, he had his own children's show actually in Houston, Texas. It was a live show. And he actually operated a puppet and um, showed cartoons and did all kinds of kind of variety entertainment. And he wanted to take his career to the next level. So my whole family moved out to Los Angeles um, in 1969. 
And um, I was quite a ways away. I was in third grade at the time, and I was quite a ways away from not about a year away from when I was going to actually enter the business myself. But I had a huge dream of wanting to be part of movies and TV. And I had developed this very odd rivalry with a schoolmate in third grade. His name was Nigel. I don't remember his last name, but I remember his name, Nigel. And Nigel insisted that he was going to get into the entertainment industry before I was. And I said, no, I'm going to get into it before you are. And this went on for <laughs> quite a number of weeks. And I finally decided it's never going to happen for me. I don't know how it's going to happen. So I'm just going to lie. And I told Nigel, I got on television and the show that I was on, he could watch every Saturday. It was HR Puff and stuff. And he got all <laughs> upset and said, I watched that show. You're not on that show. The only There's only one boy on it. So how could you possibly be on it? And I had my entire scenario worked out in my head i said well i play clang so i'm in a suit that's why you can't tell it's me and and he but bought it <laughs> but clang and clang they were little tiny people you know? <laughs> well hey my story worked he he, he bought it and believed it and and i thought good you know i boy and then oh, all of a sudden i realized God. man i lied about this completely i have nothing to do with this show what am i what's going to happen after this and literally about a year later my father turned to me and asked me if i wanted to be in television commercials because everyone in the industry where we lived if they were in the industry they put their kids in the industry so i ended up um starting out in commercials and it all kind of snowballed from there over time so yeah yeah well, the first movie I saw in 1939, opening day, was The Wizard of Oz. And oh, I, wow. the same thing, you know, I never saw a world like that. I knew I wanted to be in that world, and I knew I was too tall to be a munchkin. <laughs> you know? but, but I, I, and I knew I couldn't act, because I was a very shy kid you know i was living in my own world my own fantasy world mm -hmm. and uh as a matter of fact the neighbors that lived above us they didn't have any kids and they sort of adopted me and they loved that i i i always lived like i just said in this world of fantasy that you know i made up all these crazy stories about, you know, the trees. And uh, I knew that everything was living. That's where the idea for Living Island came from, wow. you know, because I love plants and animals. And, you know, I'm just in love with life. Nature and life, sure. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, I, I here's, uh, no, I'll go on. Uh, you, I read also that this I didn't know that you worked with Banana, the Banana Splits program. So, and then from there you got your your own show. That's where uh, that's where I read uh, HR Puffin stuff uh, sprang after well, that. Let me tell you how the Banana Splits. Uh, we had uh, shows in all the Six Flag parks, puppet shows. Right. They were huge productions in a theater that sat. 1200 people and we did nine to 12 shows a day it was 25 minutes and it became the number one attraction 
at all the Six Flags parks because it was so, it was like an acid trip for the kids. You know, <laughs> I mean, it wasn't that. <laughs> or I'd be in jail, you know. But, uh, but um, the, my marching orders in my mind was to do a show like that in an amusement park for teenagers mostly that love getting on all the rides, why the hell would they come to see a puppet show? The word mm. puppet, you know, was never used. And if you watch me on Instagram and Kelly, you know, at the top, it always says, or she always says, the unusual artistry of Sid Croft and she hits the gong. Well, that's the way my act used to open, you know? And we never, my agent said, I can't sell a puppet act. So you gotta come up with another, you know, byline. And so that's where that came from. But um, what was the question? <laughs> no, I, was, yeah. I wanted to know from Banana Splits. Oh, Banana Splits. Right. Okay, so Six Flags, we were the number one attraction. And uh, and there's a big story how we that all happened. But anyway, they set us up right behind the Burbank Airport. We had what we called the show business factory. And it was a, like a, a mini Disney operation. Uh, we had the best artists, the best craftsmen, the best everything. We only had like 250 people that worked there. And we built the rides and stuff for Six Flags, what was needed, because I became the entertainment director. Uh, I'm, I'm not the ender, well, the consultant over mm -hmm. looking overall, uh, uh, looking overall of the park and their needs each season. And we never did anything like that, but we gathered the best people on the planet, you know, in California, I mean, or Hollywood. So anyway, when we would deliver the rides and stuff for Six Flags, I didn't want to let any of the people go because they were so creative. And so we, opened up our doors to anyone. And the first customers that came in was Hanna-Barbera oh. with the banana splits. And they wanted us to design and build, which we had done before, people in costumes, you know? And they used to come in every day, the head of programming at NBC and said, God, you guys are insane. Why don't you come up with your own television show? And that's where H.R. Puffin stuff was born. Wow. But he came from San Antonio, the San Antonio World's Fair for the Coca-Cola Company in their pavilion. The show was called Kaleidoscope, but he was born in that show. And all those characters, or most of them, came from that show. So when 
his name was not Puffin stuff. Uh, you know, he had a different name. He became the symbol of the fair. He was so popular. Mm. And he didn't even look like that. He didn't have arms. He was a dragon, you know. Mm. And so that's how we got into the television business because I got to tell you something. We knew nothing about putting on a TV show. I mean, I was in the live, you know, the live uh, show part of show business, you know, my act, and then Le Poupée de Paris. Did you know anything about that? Not, not really. Not Just a little bit that I read when I was researching you. Yeah. Oh, really? Well, Le Poupée de Paris was probably the biggest production of any puppet show that played at the Seattle World's Fair, the New York World's Fair, the San Antonio World's Fair, off-Broadway, it toured the country. It ended up in nine years playing to nine and a half million people. Mm. And the gimmick was that you had to be 21 years old. It wasn't, you know, that it, it wasn't, that it had dirty words in it or anything like that. It was like a takeoff on the Folie Bergere. It was, mm. our children watching today? It was tits and ass. That's you know, <laughs> like a Las Vegas, a Paris show. That's what it was. But wow. it was, it took three months to install each one. The stage, you know, had swimming pool, real. Ice rink, waterfalls, rain, elevators, you know, all fireworks, all kinds of unbelievable effects. 250 marionettes, they were three feet tall in the show, and they would be mixed with little people with strings on. The audience never knew that, you know, they'd always oh say, gosh. oh, my God. yeah, you know. And they would break out of the stage, pull their strings down. The audience and the critics never, ever, was never exposed to them. They thought it was a radio control puppet because it would break out of the stage and walk over the orchestra pit, which was all puppets. And an elevator would take it down and it walk up the aisle of the center of the theater and uh, and then the audience would freak out screaming. And then we would, because it was always a big, like a grand guignol horror or whatever number, you know, very dark. And then I would drop the little person into a trap and up the aisle and he would disappear. Huh. And uh, And the audience, you know, they thought he was underneath their legs or screaming, screaming. So that's where that all came from, you know. Well, I, I, some crazy stuff. <laughs> what did you say? Uh, please don't send somebody with a straitjacket for me, okay? <laughs> well, that's I, fantastic. I, at least, yeah, it leads to the next. I mean, I, I previously, I, I interviewed uh, Mark Lester from Oliver, who spoke glowingly of Jack Wilde. How, how did you come to Jack Wilde 
for the okay. show. Jack Wilde. Okay, we get the order and we hadn't cast. We didn't even know what the hell we were doing. As a matter of fact, my brother said to me, go to the library and get a book on television, you know? And we had an order of 17 shows, you know? And if we failed with Puff and Stuff, I know we, we wouldn't be talking today. Because if that failed, I mean, we ended up doing 26 television series. You know, that was a lot. You know, Donnie Marie, the Brady Bunch Hour, you know, Barbara Mandrell, and it just, we went into night and, you know, and all those crazy things. But Lionel Bart, who wrote Oliver, was a really good friend of mine because I was in a show in London for six or seven months. And Lionel Bart, the day we got the order, called me from London and said, I'm coming tomorrow to LA to see a rough cut of Oliver. I'm really nervous and please, I don't, don't say you're busy. Please come with me. I'm so nervous about it. You know. And I said, oh my God, you don't even have to. I would cancel everything because I, you know, I knew that it was going to be a spectacular. I saw the script and all that. Okay, so anyway, which he wrote and wrote the music. So we go into a screening room. I think it was at Sony or I can't remember, you know, which studio did that movie. And we were the only two and the movie started. And when Jack Wilde came up on the screen, I jumped up and I said, Lionel, who is this kid? And you know, and the movie kept going, you know, and, and and he was trying to concentrate. I was hysterical because I said, I want that kid. He said, well, we found him in a schoolyard. When I go back to, you know, to London, I'll find him, you know, and that's how that all happened. Wow. You know, and we, we had him fly in and he was staying at Marty's house. We didn't even do a screen test. You know, we just had him come in to really uh, see, in, you know, uh, I, I, we already had the script, the first, the first show and we wanted him. And Billy Hayes wasn't even cast yet. Oh, wow. And that's another great story, yeah. So I've been really, really lucky in casting all the shows because most of them were my friends, you know, that I talked into doing a kid show. And then every one of them said, you're going to ruin my career. You know? <laughs> I mean, that, that means, it, you know, that's the end of my career. All of them. You know, Martha Ray, oh, she was a great friend of mine. I knew her a zillion years before that. 
when I played Miami at the, you know, at the Vaudeville Theater downtown, it was called the Olympia, I think, something like that, you know, and I used to play there quite a bit. And that's where I work with Billy Barty, uh, Spike Jones. Huh. Uh, I don't know, <clears throat> you guys might be too young to remember that that band, they played off key, you know, <laughs> and Billy Barty was in that show. That's where I first met him. Wow. And it was Billy that found all the little people for me. You yeah. know? And of course, he was in every one of our shows, you know. He was fantastic, Billy Barty. Yeah. Uh, you, you, all, I mean, all the show you had also like Charles Nelson Riley and, you know, Lenny Weinrib. Friend of mine. Friend of mine. Yeah. He definitely, he, he said, you know, we're never going to speak again. Don't ask not doing it and i talked him into it and he hated hated Did he? the green makeup and the skull cap and the, just and it became for the rest of his life that character became charles nelson riley when he was on the johnny carson and all those shows he was doing hoodoo he became that character and, and after all those years it still lives on, you know, that character and, you know, and our shows. I mean, for people to take them with them all these years, it's, it's amazing to me, you know. Well, you know, my, my daughter's a fan now. I mean, my daughter's discovering your shows now. She's, uh, she's 15. She watches them religiously now. So wow, you new... thank you. you've got to thank her for me. <laughs> she's listening. <No>. In. <laughs> is she watching? Yes. I mean, is she next to you? She's right next to me. Really? Sure. Have her come on. I want to thank come her. Here, come here quick. Come here quick. You have to. Oh, yeah, you got to. Yeah. Uh, come on. <laughs> She's oh. so embarrassed right now. There she is. No. Oh, come on. How beautiful. Of course, everybody has to see you. And thank you so much for what. Look at what you're wearing. Does it say hoodoo? Scooby Doo. Oh, Scooby Doo. <laughs> oh, well, let's hide that. Okay. <laughs> I thought, no. I thought, Big Puffin stuff fan. <laughs> so. Yeah. Oh, that's Scooby Doo! Great. Yeah. yeah. So, I was. I was saying. Uh, then came after that. After that, you came. Some of my favorites: so Sigmund and the Sea Monsters, and uh, where you had another prodigious childhood actor who I also interviewed, uh, Johnny Whitaker. Um, I, I know, had so him on last week. I saw. We watched the show. Yeah. We, we watched it. It was, it was fantastic. Yeah, great. With Scott also there. So, yeah. uh, can you tell us a little bit about how that casting came with, with Johnny? Uh, Johnny. Uh, um. Let me see, there was Puffin Stuff, and then came The Bugaloos, mm -hmm. which we went back to London and auditioned, and Did guess it? who picked The Bugaloos? Uh, uh, Mick Jagger, who was oh. a very close friend of Lionel, because Lionel Bart was, as we were auditioning, we auditioned over 4,000 kids for The Bugaloos in London. In February, you know, and they, oh, I used to bring hot chocolate out. You know, they were waiting for hours in the cold to oh. come and audition. It just tore me apart. I, I hate being part of that because 
you know, rejection for mm -hmm. all of us, and especially in our business, it hurts, you know, and we don't know why we think we do well. And, uh, you know, you go in for a part or whatever, but you never know what they're really looking for. They don't tell you, you know, so. It's so very true, very true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it always tears me apart when we audition, you know, because they want the part so badly for so many reasons and they work so hard in, in getting there. So, uh, <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> uh, and then came- At Lidsville. Lidsville. Mm -hmm. And that, okay, even, even uh, uh, Butch Patrick, mm -hmm. uh, I, I did not pick him. It was Cy Rose, who was our producer, who came to me and said, what do you think of Butch Patrick? And I said, wow, I don't know him, but the Munsters, he's, oh, he would be perfect. But how old is he now? And, and we looked it up and he was like 17 or 18. And I said, well, Let's see what he looks like, because it's got to be a younger kid, you know. And and he came in, his agent sent him in, and he really thought the whole thing was stupid, you know, Lidsville. <laughs> and he really didn't want to do it. And so I asked him, uh, I think he told that story a couple of weeks ago. I took him out, and we had lunch, and I talked him into it. You know, wow! Uh, you got it. You know, it's <laughs> called a snow job, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, isn't it? So, and then he really hated doing that show, but then because it it became like, oh my God! I mean, to this day, everybody that's a fan of our shows, you know. That's like one of their favorite shows because it was so, you know, uh, I'm working with David Copperfield and every time I talk to him, he says, the cuckoo cuckoo is, he knows all the words. He grew up with, all, you know, I wrote that, the theme song, you know, I, I wrote the music, the, uh, the lyrics and Les Sarvis who wrote the theme song of Puffin Stuff, uh, we both worked together on Lidsville. I was going to ask you about that. Who wrote all the songs? Because all the songs from their shows are so catchy. And you, you know, you still. Well, thank you. It, that's another great little story. Um, we've been on a whole hour. No, no, a half hour. Oh, that's right. Okay. Just tell me when, you know, when I'm talking too much. No, not at all. I have so many stories. We, we have plenty of time. Um, and we're riveted. Oh, in the puppet shows. Yes. Oh, well, thank you so much. In the puppet shows, I put the music together from records. I used to spend, oh, maybe five, six months searching for the music. Then I would go in, I had a really great technician that I work with. And I'd go in to his private studio and we would spend weeks and weeks and weeks putting 
a show together, a puppet show together, because I couldn't afford to have a, an original score or anything. And I'd bring sound effect people and I'd bring a couple of musicians to give us endings. I'd bring in all this, the voice people, because it was a big musical, but yet I needed characters or whatever. And that's Lenny Weinberg. That's how I met Lenny Weinberg. I knew him way before he got involved with any of our shows. Okay, so anyway, I used to go to all the record stores and they all knew me. And in those days, you they would let you listen to anything, you know, in a booth. They all had booths and they you could listen to an album or whatever or a single and you didn't have to buy it, you know. And there was a, a store in the valley and they had old uh, music, you know, like back from, uh, not the silent movie, uh, but, but old, you know, Charlie Chaplin background music or whatever. Okay, so anyway, um, Les Sarvis, who wrote all the theme songs, for a bunch of our shows and all the songs with Jack Wilde, you know, I'm a mechanical boy and all those things. He was working in this record shop and he said, and he helped me a lot with finding music. And he said to me, you know, I write music. Can I, next time you come, can, would you please look at it? And I said, well, yeah, I'd be happy to, but I don't know, you know, uh, I don't do original music. It's, it's off records, but I said, I need lyric. Do you do lyric with it? He said, oh yeah, you know. And so he gave me a sample and uh, this is for the puppet shows. I don't even think I used him in any of the puppet shows because we did those for nine years and we were in six or seven parks, you know, that the Coca-Cola company sponsored. Hmm. And they were big theaters. They were 1,200 seat hmm. theaters. So anyway, when it came to puffing stuff, I remembered that guy and that's how I found you know, found him years before that. So, you know, that happened in my whole career. You know, all the people that you never think you're, you're going to need or they're going to help you or whatever. But I always remembered, you know, who put me there. That's great. And, you know, because that's important. It's, and it's the fans right now. Tomorrow on my live, it's going to be all about the fans. Oh, that's fantastic. Because without them, you know, it's just, what is it? You're lucky if it's 15 minutes of fame, right? Right. Now, so go, let's go back. I mean, you, let's go back to Sigmund and the Sea Monsters. Where did that come from? And, uh, and how did you cast uh, Johnny Whitaker for that? Oh, yeah. Johnny Whitaker... 
of course, Family Affair. I knew him from Family Affair. I did not personally know him. And I knew that he was the right age. So we had him come in first and he immediately, we knew that he had to have a brother and he immediately said, you know, my best friend. I said, oh, that would be perfect. Because, you know, he, I grew up with him and he, we understand each other. Oh, I said, have him come in, the both of you. You know, so that's how that, we never looked at anyone else. Jack Wilde never looked at anyone oh. else. Billy Hayes, that's a whole other story. Yeah, we looked at one person. It was um, um, Penny Marshall. Thank oh, you. Wow. My God. Uh, Penny Marshall came in, and I, <laughs> and I said, I said, we're not looking for a Brooklyn witch. <laughs> With that accent. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was like very Catskill Mountains, or you know, or, oh or or in in Miami, uh, Collins, Collins, Collins Avenue, right? Avenue, yeah. <laughs> we used to, you know, my last engagement with Judy Garland was at the Fontainebleau, and then I oh. played there many times after that. But the first time was with Judy Garland. And Betty Grable was in another hotel. I knew her because of Harry James was her husband. Mm -hmm. And I worked with a lot of bands. And, you know, in the 50s, it was all bands, dance bands. They were the stars. And they'd always have an act, you know. And, and I would be chosen because there was a novelty act. And so Betty Grable, we used to get on the bus on Collins Avenue. And, you know, she did disguise herself. <laughs> and, and just to listen to the, to the women and the men riding the bus. Oh, the dialogue was just great, you know. And a woman, uh, I don't know how she knew. She said, she came up to her and she said, are you the real Betty Grable? <laughs> and she said, she said, yeah. She said, what are you doing in Miami? You should be in Hollywood. <laughs> and for Judy Garland, we're on the elevator. I used to take her down to the, to the, I think the room was called the Blue Room or whatever. And they didn't have a service elevator. We had to take the regular elevator. And I, we're going down the elevator, the doors open up, a woman walks in and she said, Judy Garland, she screamed it. She said, how come you don't look like over the rainbow? <laughs> Anymore. Because she wasn't a little girl at that time. <laughs> That's fantastic. Dorothy, Dorothy, yeah. So let's go on from there. Let's go. Well, this was one of my favorites. I wanted to hear about Land of the Lost, where that came from, and the idea of the sleigh stacks, which terrified me as a kid. I used to check my room before I walked in for sleigh stacks. Really? <laughs> wow. I'm glad I scared the hell out of you. Disney always <laughs> did that, didn't he? He always opened up his movies. M Mom died or... You know, somebody <laughs> always dies and scares the hell out of the kids. 
that's to get their attention, you know? <laughs> okay, so anyway, oh, we're going to uh, land of the laws. Here we did uh, Puffin stuff, the Bugaloos. Right. You know, I mean, it was all, it was, in a way, it was all sort of the same story, but, you know, and then uh, Sigmund. Well, Sigmund was something that really happened to me you know, down in La Jolla. Uh, and that's a, another two hour story. But, uh, and then I just, all, all three networks used to wait every single year. We never did a pilot, you know. It was all a presentation, this incredible book that we mm. had. And I used to sit on the floor They'd sit around, nobody reads ever. And they, the executives would just sit around and I'd tell them the story with the pictures. And they always bought our shows. So every year they always waited to see what the next insane thing was going to be, you know. So I couldn't come up with the next show great friend of mine was staying from New York, was staying at my house. I had a huge collection of, what's the book, Kelly, with all the, the pictures, oh God. Oh, National Geographic. National Geographic. I do have senior moments. Magazine, a not a book, I had to think too. It's, it's a okay. magazine, it is a magazine. Well, I subscribe to it. So I always kept them because the pictures, are, the art is so beautiful, right? And he did collages, my friend. That was his hobby, right? And I was saying, oh God, you know, I don't know what the next show is. And, and he was looking through those books. He said, can I borrow some? I said, yeah, if you make sure I get them back. And uh, I hate letting people borrow books because you never see them again. <laughs> we all have that experience, all right? And we're looking through the, he's looking through the books and he's, and he came to, there was a whole article about dinosaurs. And it had in that article, huge, it was, on many, many pages. It also had a lizards, right? Okay, so I don't know what hit me because the second movie that I saw after uh, The Wizard of Oz was 1 million BC because with not with uh, Raquel Welch, the original one, Victor right. Yeah. I never, I, I, as a kid, we never saw dinosaurs moving. We saw them in books, but that scared the hell out of me. <laughs> and it really like always made an impression in my mind, like in looking at those pictures and 1 million BC, and I went, 
oh my God. I asked my friend, would you help me? Let's put a collage together. And and let me tell you the the story, you know, that I can come up with. It wasn't, you know, it started, I had lots of problems with it, you know, and it originally was called, you know, I gave it that name. I think it was called uh, the other way around, you know, mm-hmm. Latin, uh, uh, Land of the Lost, the Lost Land. That's that was my original, yeah. And then I didn't like the way that looked. It didn't, you know. And I spun it around. The sleeve stacks came from Lizzie. They were the I needed, you know, people. Mm-hmm. And, and but you couldn't have people in in the stories. Then we did, you know, that got stranded. You know, we, we, it's very difficult. You know, when every show that I create, I've created, it was really important to show that you had a series. It wasn't just an idea. Mm-hmm. So all those characters, I already had stories for them. They were not there just because they look pretty, you know. They were there because they could give me a story. You know, they pick up 17 shows. And that's another question they ask you. What's show three? What's show eight? You know, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, come on, you know, it's the Wizard of Oz that I was doing. But (laughs) instead of a girl, it was a boy. I'm talking about Puffin stuff, you know, and he I, I originally gave him a harmonica. Hmm. And then I didn't like that. It was just, there was something, you know. Uh, and then uh, it was, uh, uh, the reason I gave him the flute, because the Pied Piper, that came from that hmm. thought, you know. and. And of course, everything in the whole show was living, you know. And uh, and the flute played again a huge part because that's what Wichita wanted. Because mm-hmm. not only was it gold, it was the only, you know, talking flute in the world. Mm-hmm. And so she wanted that because Boss Witch was going to come, and she wanted <laughs> to show her that she had. Yeah, something right. valuable. Yeah, yeah. That's that's great. That's really great. Um, you also, I, I read, you know, from that, I saw that you went into the, the variety shows, you know, Electra Women and Diana Girl, then into the variety shows with the, the Osmonds and the, the Brady Bunch Hour. Uh, how did those go? How did those come about the, with the Osmonds? Well, because, no, because uh, Fred Silverman, was the head of programming at NBC and had great visions. He brought great classical shows to television. And um, and for some reason, I'm not on an ego trip, but he just loved me because he thought, you know, he saw Donnie Marie on an afternoon 
television show? Who came from Philadelphia in the afternoon? Who was the talk show? Uh, not, not Merv Griffin, there was another one. You know, he was also on in the afternoon. Yeah. Okay, I can't, uh, uh, Kelly's looking it up, <laughs> but it's not that important. Um, he saw them. Marie was 15 years old. She had not done anything professionally. Donnie was a huge, right. you know, uh, Bobby Sock right. star, right? Yeah, with a little kid. And he said, hey, if I, they were living, of course, in, in uh, Utah, right. in Provo. They lived in Provo. And, and he said, if we fly you there, would you take a meeting uh, with the Osmonds? And uh, I'm thinking of, they would be, oh, he said, what do you think of them? And then this is what sold him. And I said, he showed me the footage from that talk show. And I said, there, it's Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney. It's the boy and girl next door. We haven't had that in a zillion years. And he said, bingo, you know, mm. wow, he loved that. And, and I lay down a whole show and I went, it was, I still have it. It's on a, a, a yellow pad, <laughs> you know, uh, what do you call those yellow pads? The yeah. legal pads? A legal pad, uh, thank you. Yeah. Okay. And uh and and they all you know gathered in, in their living room and I, I told them the sh what I felt the show could be. And I see I was in the night show in nineteen forty-nine next to Radio City Music Hall on skates. I and with my act, it was the Sonia Henny. Do you know who she was? Yes, yes. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah huge. And uh, it, it was the, it's torn down now. It was the sister theater of Radio City. It was just a little smaller, but it, it looked just like Radio City Music Hall. Beautiful. You know, the lobbies. And, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and the huge stage. And it was a big ice show. It was like a Broadway show. There were 150 people in that show. Oh. So I had worked in that show for a year. That was my, my breakthrough in stardom because I walked away with all the reviews. They never saw anything like it. Hmm. I w I'm not a good puppeteer. But I'll tell you something that, again, I'm not, I, don't get me wrong, I'm not on an ego trip. That's not me. But I'm a hell of a showman. <laughs> and, that's, <laughs> and that's what's needed with anybody that is in this business or any business needs to be a showman because the way they present whatever business they're in, you know, it can be just a tailor or whatever, you know, just to be different. 
I always, I have one thing that I've always said to everybody. If you see a road that goes left, because everybody goes right, they're all following each other. Follow the leader, take it. And then my whole career has been like that. Mm. I've always, everything's been done. Give me a break, you know, <laughs> everything, right? But it's the way you approach it, you know? We've been on, wow, almost an hour. Do you know that? Yes. <laughs> are people gonna Are people gonna click us off? Who's gonna see this? A uh, lot. We have a lot of people on. Uh, we put it on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel. I'm gonna send you the link when it comes out. Okay. Now I gotta tell you. You gotta tell them all. I'll tell them all. Yes. I'm on Instagram. Yes, you're gonna I tell. Go I'm gonna ask you about that too. Yeah, and I go live. I don't know why <laughs> I, I even started it, but it's like a sickness now. I go live <laughs> every Sunday at three o'clock. I've had some really incredible guests, David Copperfield yes. and, and uh, Pee Wee Herman. And, you know, it just goes on and on. Uh, and so tune in. Yes, we're going to say that we, we, we watch it every Sunday here, my daughter and I. Really? Watch, yes, and uh, we uh, love it. So how does it feel you, to go to a new audience? It's, it's incredible. It was Kelly. Kelly is my, sitting next to me. She's right. my assistant. And after we got our star on the Walk of Fame, we were the last ones last February. You know, the, of course, oh, wow. the craziness happened in March. Mm -hmm. And... February 13th, and, and uh, I don't know, there were 900 people there. They never saw anything like it. <laughs> you know, usually it's 300 or whatever, but they were around the block. And after my speech and, and we came home, Kelly said to me, you gotta be on Instagram. I said, oh, come on, you know. You know, I don't like even doing interviews. I really don't. I never did. Because, and especially with my brother, because he always contradicts <laughs> me, and he was never there. He was never, he joined me uh, in 1958. And my act only lasted nine more months after that. He was my assistant. Hmm. And then after that, was Le Poupée de Paris. He, he was a car salesman. He didn't know anything about show business. And then after that were all the puppet shows. And then after that was television and movies and, you know. So he had his training for a long, long time before, you know, we got into television. He does the business and, you know, and I'm the whacked out one. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have to ask you, just, yeah. you your, your shows, you, think, you, you mentioned how many people came to your, your, for the Walk of Fame. I think a lot of your shows have definitely, they still remain popular and they've had a resurgence a lot. I mean, how does it feel to see? It's like, you know, it was, I gotta tell you something, it <laughs> blows me away. And you know, that's coming from my heart when I say that, when I go, well, we don't go out of town any at this point, 
But when I'm out of town, and you know, I'm I'm, I'm a real person, right? And I hand somebody my credit card, and they freak out, just freak out, screaming, you know. And it freaks me out. How the hell? I mean, all those shows are like 50 years old. Come on, give me a break. I mean, how would they remember, you know, and take all that with them all these years, you know, and hand it to their kids like you are doing, mm -hmm. you know, to watch? Because, you know, my shows, I'm, I'm really proud of them because it's not like, well, there, first of all, there are no guns in it. There's no blood, you know, and, you know, and nobody's uh, car crashing or anything like that. You know, it's just, it's innocence and, and, and educational because if you really listen that kids go to school five days a week and Saturday morning is their moment. And I'm not, I don't care what you tell me at the network, I am not gonna educate them because the FCC insists that you do. I said, I'll do it in a really tricky way. <laughs> and maybe they won't understand what I'm saying, but their mom and dad will. And when they see the mom or dad laugh, they're going to laugh hard. But years later, they come up to me at Comic-Con and they say, wow, that was, you know, Dr. Blinky's fireplace smoked too much and it had a terrible cough and it, the house was on crutches, you know. And all those messages that I, I slipped in there, you know, Years later, they went, you know, now that they're grown up with their own kids, they said, that was so cool, you know, but I insisted upon being, you know, careful with that, but yet entertaining because, you know, was, was it morning was theirs. Sure. Was it surreal to see revamps of the show like you had? A revamp of Sigmund, the revamp of Electra Woman and Diner Girl, uh, the Land of the Lost movie. Was it surreal to see? No, it wasn't. No, because no? I hated them all. Uh, <laughs> I really had nothing to do with it. You know, I personally feel that a, 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 a reboot mm -hmm. never really turns out well, or a real good book. You know, they, for some reason, they even ruin that. <laughs> Not all the time, but, you know, and it's like a reboot for me. No, I'd like to go further. I'm working on something new. You know, I did it. It was successful. And I thank everybody. I'm grateful for that. You know, that all of our stuff made such an impact mm -hmm. you know every day you know i'm uh, i'm so using that word again so grateful that that the fans are still out there and you know and and remembering all those things it's it's blows me away it really does speaking of, are you going to do you have any appearances coming up that fans can see you at 
at the <laughs> conventions or anything? Why? Well, nobody wants to look at me. <laughs> no, no, we I've been asked and and you know, right before this all happened, uh, a, a big promoter uh, did approach me and my well, no, not even my brother. He didn't know anything about it. And uh, we were going to bring back the Puffin Stuff movie. Hmm. And then we were going to, because it's, I don't know, it's 50 some odd years, 52 years ago it was done. And, and then we were going to, they wanted us to appear, but I wanted to make it an event, you know, the lobby and everything. And, you know, not just showing the movie that they were coming to, a, you know, an event and, and bringing their kids that knew nothing about, you know, the Puffin Stuff movie, which, uh, you know, I was proud of too. And uh, because uh, uh, Paul Rubin brought back his first movie, The Great Adventure, and he toured with it, and then he appeared after it. Mm -hmm. And I was willing to do that because I wanted to meet the fans and I wanted to get paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> I needed the money. <laughs> we always do, all of us. <laughs> How do we pay for all of it? Right. Yeah. No, okay. So anyway, uh, but that of course, uh, blew away and, and I just got a call the other day. They want to reschedule it again, but I don't know. I don't know. I, I think we're not ready for that yet. I, you know, I think things are opening up too soon. And, hmm. you know, it's like, I just hope we've done the right thing. You know, hmm. I hope so. And Florida, wow, they just, really opened up you know but it, it really worked didn't it i mean i don't know we don't know right if, you know if, so far so good we'll we'll keep hoping <laughs> so, yeah 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 we don't want to get into that right right so no but thank i, I do urge everyone to, to follow you on instagram i mean your instagram is fantastic just besides well, the stories you. that you you do every besides the interviews uh you put out a lot of old clips which are just tremendous i, I love seeing those every day in your stories you put out a lot of uh you know, behind the scenes things where you put out like a lot of old clips from shows and movies, just fantastic. Hey, Wolf, thank you. You know, I, the reason I'm really doing all this is because I wanted to share my stories. You know, I have not written a book yet and I wanted, because I don't care what you do for a living. You might be able to pick up on something and use it in your own dreams that mm -hmm. you have, because we all have dreams. And, and the one thing that I always tell everybody, just stay focused on the one dream, get it done and then go to the next. If you're all over the place, you know, and you have too many dreams at once, it's, uh, well, it'll happen, but, 
it might take longer than just staying focused. And I always did, I worked that way. I get an idea and nobody hears it until I feel comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. Because you hit many brick walls. You get excited about something and then you go, that's not gonna work, you know, because I'm not gonna be able to fool the audience. I'm not gonna be able to capture them. And are they gonna follow this? There's a lot of questions to everything, you know, everything that we try to create. And uh, life is great. Yeah, that's great. I, so yeah. I, I urge you to write that uh, book, <laughs> that memoir also. If you... Well, we're, 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 we're trying to work on that right now. It's a lot of work, you know. And, <laughs> oh, we oh, yeah. know that part. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, yeah, you know, and it's, oh, my God. It's like I started and then, you know, it's, whoa. <laughs> I mean, I, I love working on new things, which I'm doing right now, something really big and, and I'm so proud of, yeah. Anything you want to share or not no. yet? <laughs> not no. yet, okay. No. <laughs> well, well, I, I no, do, I- Sorry about that. No, no, you know, I look forward to it. Or, you know, I've, I've, I've only been working on it for like eight months now and, okay. uh, and we're very, very close. And I told you, I, the only thing I can share is uh, I'm working with David Copperfield. That's great. That's great. Outstanding. And, and let me tell you, whoa, I just talked to him a few hours ago. You know, I talk to him every day. Oh, oh wow. And he's awesome. Just, oh, no wonder he, you know, has done so much in our business and and created you know bigger than oh, any mountain you know it's just it's a, it's it's amazing to me because i have followed him right from the beginning and in closing i i, I want to say he started with magic was for little kids hmm. it was at little birthday parties they did a magician would come and do a little trick for them, you know, make the handkerchief disappear. And he took it to the adult world. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm proud to say that I took puppetry and yes. I brought it into the adult world, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, because it was also little, you know, in your backyard at, at, a, at your birthday, they'd come with a little clown puppet and, you know, dance around and uh and so i'm proud of that so in meeting david copperfield i followed his career right from the beginning and uh it always blew me away and when i had the opportunity to finally meet him mm -hmm. you know, amazing he's just the most amazing person so oh. Mr. We thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time for, to speak with us. It, well, thank you. Such and, a pleasure and honor. And, you know, well, no, thank you so much for your interest. And, you know, I, I live way up on a hill and I think, oh, my God, is there anybody out there that remembers what <laughs> I've done? 
way more than no, you think I, probably <laughs> i'm yeah i'm i'm gonna give you my two cents i the the theme from hr <laughs> puff and stuff is an earworm that i have in my head more than i care to share with you it creeps in and out and and you wow, are a part of you. you're a part of my consciousness my subconsciousness you have been all my life and one of one yeah. one of the many inspirations that 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 really propelled me into wanting to be a part of those worlds you created and i mean your originality is is Thanks. simply beyond description and and Thanks. um it's extraordinary because wow. I, I i just i just had I, I i i've been very quiet and listening and thoroughly enjoying hearing um hearing your stories so but i just had to i felt again compelled to just tell you how much it means to me so i thank you for everything that you've done and you're and going to do it means so much to me what you just said. Thank you for that too. You, you know, are more than uh, welcome. And just to be hip, it just blows me away. <laughs> thank you so much. Hey, thank, you. thank you, thank you, guys. And, and Kelly, and, thank uh, you for arranging us. <laughs> yeah. And and when you need yeah. more, or whatever, I'm I'm here. I'm here. You know. Any any time, we would love to have you back. Any single time you want. <laughs> so. Just ask me, okay? <laughs> thank you so much. Hey, thank you. Have a great uh, weekend, a great day, <laughs> and a great night. Hey, you thank too. you. Everybody. Take care. Thank you again. This has been Pop Culture Retro with Sid Croft. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Retro, where no one was hurt during the making of this podcast. 